hello and welcome to the Informed Traveler podcast, part of the Informed Traveler radio show, which is heard every Sunday on Chorus Radio. It's a travel show where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. It's been a while since we talked about the cruise industry, so a little bit later on in the podcast, we'll chat with the cruise guru, David Yeskel. I always love talking cruising with him, so we'll get an update on what they're doing to survive this COVID crisis and get some insight on when we can cruise again and what it will look like. Plus, we'll head to the St. Eugene Golf Resort and Casino near Cranbrook, B.C. They're celebrating 20 years this year and are welcoming all Canadians to visit. But we begin our podcast talking about Indigenous tourism. They're launching a new campaign called Escape from Home, inviting Canadians to explore their own backyard, so to speak. So to tell us more about the campaign and about some of the unique tours that are available, we're pleased to welcome Keith Henry. He's the president and CEO of the Indigenous Tourism Association. Their website is indigenoustourism.ca. Hi, Keith. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, I'm pretty much, I think most people... I have a pretty good idea of what Indigenous tourism is all about, but give me some background uh, and about the uh, Indigenous Tourism Association, who you represent, and uh, what your mandate is. Absolutely. Uh, well, Indigenous tourism has been growing in Canada for the last, uh, you know, a few decades. It's really what it is. It's sharing, uh, of course, rich uh, Indigenous culture and 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 education through a lot of uh, tourism experiences from uh, every part of this country. Uh, indigenous tourism, one of the key elements is it's uh, uh, for authenticity, is owned and operated by the Indigenous community or an Indigenous entrepreneur. And that could be either Métis, First Nations or Inuit. And as we know, in Alberta and other places, there's you know quite a cross-section of local First Nations and Métis uh, and uh, sometimes Inuit people that are living in the area that create businesses. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, we see this manifest through restaurants we see it in hotels we've got outdoor adventure we've got cultural centers so quite a broad range of uh, you know great experiences to enjoy well yeah i'm looking on your website indigenoustourism.ca there's a number of uh, different activities and, and things that people can can experience uh, and which we'll touch on in just a second but i just want to get some feedback on you on how the covid crisis i mean it's had a huge effect on all aspects of the tourism industry uh, how has it affected your members it's you know it's uh, COVID uh, of course has affected the entire tourism sector and it's really impacted the indigenous tourism industry. You know, uh, right, we have as of this last year we had about eighteen hundred businesses across the country. Um, you know, businesses we've lost about seventy percent of our business overnight, and uh, we went from you know record breaking years. Uh, you know, uh, in two thousand nineteen we're close to about two billion dollars in direct GDP. So with about forty thousand people working and the rest uh, revenues through sales at the tills, if you want to call it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we'll be lucky this year because of the you know obviously the border closings and and of course local uh, you know municipalities and everything being closed and communities being closed. Uh, we've you know we we are going to be hard-pressed to see uh, a 1,000 of our businesses survive. Uh, we think there'll be seven to 800, uh, you know, businesses lost across this country. So wow. it's been an extremely hard, Im- hard impact. We've lost, you know, we expect to lose uh, uh, up to 20,000 employees working in our industry. So it's, it's a really difficult time. But, mm-hmm. you know, we have to rebuild. And, uh, you know, that's what we're, we're looking to the future now. And part of that is a campaign you have called Escape from Home. Tell me a bit about that now. Yeah, that's really uh, exciting for us. I mean, Escape from Home is really reaching out to Canadians. We want 
everyone to, uh, you know, people, we're not leaving the country that many Canadians, we've been a great exporter of tourism experiences. Uh, People love to go visit Hawaii, Mexico, or the U.S., or Europe, or or wherever that may be. And and what we're saying to Canadians, uh, you know, have you looked through your backyard entirely? You know, Canadians have been a good customer group, if I can call it that way, for many of our businesses. Mm. And this year, more than ever before, Escape from Home is saying to folks, Look in your backyard if you're in a major urban center or you're looking for somewhere rural and remote. We have a number of Indigenous tourism businesses that are reopening. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, the escape from home is really about showing them and pointing them in the right direction, uh, whether it's in Alberta or other parts of the country. Well, and you do offer a number of tours on your website. I was quite surprised, actually. And uh, some of the cool things, these aren't your average, everyday, uh, typical tours, are they? No, no, these are really unique experiences. I mean, I, I, you know, I bet you many of your listeners are, they probably can recall a, a, a holiday where they went somewhere. Maybe they, for example, because I brought up Hawaii. So they went to Hawaii. And, the, you know, a lot of us will think of Hawaii, of, of, of you know, uh, the local Indigenous culture, the Polynesian culture. We're immersed in it. And it's a beautiful, sunny destination. But we remember that because... You know, we heard the term aloha, we, 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 we saw the dance, we saw the culture as part of nice hotels, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the activities, but it really made it unique and special for a lot of families. But people, what we want people to understand is we have that here in the backyard, we just haven't been as, as strong marketing it as a country to ourselves and to the world, and, and it's getting better, but now more than ever is that time to do that, and so... We have hotels, we've got cultural visit, outdoor adventure, like I said earlier. So there's a lot of really great experiences. And those packages are to give people, you know, options from just, you know, a few hour getaway to like, you know, you know uh, multi-day uh, overnight stays. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm looking at uh, just uh, the Dene cultural tour, uh, just for example, in the, in the north. And it's quite an experience, uh, floating dinner theater. You've got uh, Cameron Falls. There's a half-day paddling tour. So, so some really unique unique experiences, like you say, that uh, they're right in our own backyard, right? Well, Canadians, we like to think of Indigenous tourism. It must be just song and dance. And, oh, I've seen a drum group, so that's it. Or I, I've heard, the, mm-hmm. uh, you, know, uh, you know, I've seen a performance. But what they don't realize is that's just part of it. It's like it, there's so much more, as you say, that whether it's the, you know, you go to the hotel and you see the theming and the artwork and you just, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not sort of pushing it on the customer. It's really the customer's choice of how much or or, or how little they want to just experience. And that's what we try to do, set those packages and, and, and so forth. And, and the new campaign, Escape from Home, was really to let people know you have lots of great, exciting options at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, if, uh, if you want to experience these and get some ideas, indigenoustourism.ca, just click on Getaways at the top. There's longer stays. There's all kinds of ideas. And uh, Keith Henry is the president and CEO of Indigenous Tourism Association of Canada. Again, their website, Indigenous, Indigenous tourism.ca. Uh, appreciate your time, Keith. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Well, the St. Eugene Golf Resort and Casino near Cranbrook, B.C. is celebrating 20 years this year, and they're busy welcoming all Canadians to visit So to tell us more about their reopening, how they're handling the COVID situation, and what it's like to stay there is Barry Zwest. He is the CEO of the St. Eugene Resort and Casino. Their website is stugene.ca. Hi, Barry. 
How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm noticing on your website a couple of things. One, it's your 20th anniversary, so congratulations on that. Thank you. And the next one says, Hotel, golf course, and RV park now open to all Canadians. Well, there's a pretty good invite. Well, it's uh, um, as much as there may be restrictions uh, in uh, in the current age of COVID, um, we uh, there are no uh, there are no bans on anyone from uh, from across the country. So as long as they adhere to uh, our um, safety guidelines, mm-hmm. then everyone's welcome. Well, that's great. Uh, let's talk about those safety guidelines and the preparation it took for you uh, to reopen. I understand it was July 1st was your reopening date, right? Uh, actually, the golf course opened May 22nd. The RV park opened uh, June 1st, and we opened one-third of our inventory in the, re- in the hotel for July 1st. Nice. Okay, well, let's start with uh, the preparations to do all of that uh, in the, our COVID-19 world that we live in now. Well, uh, the preparations started literally uh, the day that we uh, closed the resort, and we did close the resort in its entirety on the 15th of March, uh, and we immediately started uh, our safety planning uh, for uh, the eventual reopening of what we could, and uh, it became pretty apparent pretty quickly that golf courses uh, were going to be allowed to open provided that there were um, distancing mm-hmm. uh, uh, steps and uh, uh, and other protections. So we used that as a template and literally just went through the resort department by department and uh, put a put an entire safety plan together um, that we're actually very proud of. I've got a couple of team members who worked their hearts out on it, and um, it's a good document, and everyone's following it, and uh, um, we're orienteering all of our staff to it as they come back. Nice. Uh, So now what can your guests expect when they arrive? Let's let's talk about the hotel uh, for now, and then we'll talk about the RV park. Sure. Well, the hotel is is uh, it is limited. Um, we um, we aren't doing any service to the rooms uh, during a guest stay. If they want anything extra brought up, we'll leave it outside their door, give a gentle knock, and they can pick it up outside the door. But we're not changing beds daily or cleaning the rooms daily until the guests check out. Uh, then we're leaving each room vacant for 48 hours to uh, ensure that any surface uh, uh, potential contaminants are uh, are dead. Mm-hmm. And then we go in and do a complete sanitation, uh, literally from top to bottom in the rooms before the next guest is allowed in. Now talk about your RV park. I didn't even realize you had an RV park there. It's fairly new. This is our third year of operation, uh, and uh, we've got 114 full service, fully service sites, including 50 amp electrical, water, sewer to each site, cable TV, Wi-Fi, and uh, some spectacular views of the Canadian Rockies, uh, with the St. Mary's River running right down the side of it. So it's it's pretty amazing, pretty spectacular, and uh, it's already. Uh, filling up very quickly. Mm, I would imagine. Uh, you're not really roughing it the way you describe it, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and most of the, most of the uh, guests that we have are in pretty spectacular uh, 
accommodation themselves. Mm, yes, exactly. I've seen some of the RVs that uh, yes. drive by. We should uh, talk about where you're located just in case. I've driven by uh, your resort many times, never stopped in, but it's pretty hard not to miss. The resort is actually 10 minutes just outside of Cranbrook uh, on uh, Mission Theatre Road. It, uh, the resort is a former residential school, uh, which is uh, a very interesting uh, interesting history, mm-hmm. be, albeit very sad. Um, and uh, we are still owned by uh, by the people that were most impacted by that residential school system. And that's where you get your, uh, like, it is an interesting-looking building, for lack of a better term. Uh, the, the structure itself is, is quite unique. Well, it was actually built in uh, between 1908 and 1912 uh, as a uh, residential school. Uh, it was uh, operated as a res- residential school from 1912 until 1970. Um, as I say, it was a, a very dark past. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the powers that be at the time did their best to strip away the culture, the language, and anything to do with the Tanaka Nation. And uh, uh, 20 years ago, it was decided by... Um, the, our current board chair and visionary, um, Sophie Pierre, to take uh, something that was so dark and turn it into a positive by developing it into a resort. And uh, it's doing quite well, thank you. Mm-hmm. And we uh, actually, uh, we were chatting with um, Indigenous tourism people uh, previously, and you do have Indigenous programs that you offer there as well, right? We do. We have a couple of programs. Um, our most popular one right now is what we call ICAT, Indigenous Cultural Awareness Training. It's geared primarily to uh, small corporate groups uh, who want to learn a little bit about um, uh Indigenous cultural awareness uh, and incorporated into the into their training. It teaches a little bit of history, gives a tour of the school and some history of the school, and it also gets into some pretty cool stuff um, as far as sleeping in a teepee, um, uh, potentially uh, tanning hides, playing traditional games uh, that that are really a lot of fun and uh, and. Uh, some crafting as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get back to the hotel itself. Describe some of the rooms and, and what it's like to stay there. Well, um, there's there's two parts to the hotel. There's the uh, uh, the mission rooms, which are in the original schoolhouse building. We have 25 of those. And then we have what we call our lodge, which is a more contemporary style of, uh, of lodging, which is uh, 100 of our 125 rooms. Um, the mission building, when they uh, when they converted it from a residential school into uh, a hotel, they stripped down the walls and found this amazingly gorgeous red brick uh, backing. So they stripped all of the uh, the facing off of that red brick, restored the red brick, and all of the rooms in the mission building have that red brick on at least one wall. So it's it's uh, it, it's Beautifully rustic. Mm-hmm. And, and now you said you, you have limited rooms. So how is the summer going as far as bookings? Uh, if I'm looking to, to come there, should I should I plan in advance? Absolutely, you need to plan in advance, especially in these days. As I said, it's uh, we we've reduced our inventory by two thirds just so we can get that 48 hour uh, sanitization period in between guests. Mm-hmm. 
so it's um, uh, it's in high demand right now. Um, uh, we're actually starting to break the 40-room barrier um, um, and uh, go a little bit higher because we're full on the weekends, but a little bit uh, less so in midweek. Well, it uh, sounds like a, a fabulous place to stay. St. Eugene Golf Resort and Casino. The website is stugene.ca. And Barry's West is the uh, CEO of the St. Eugene Golf Resort and Casino. Pleasure uh, speaking with you, Barry. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Randy. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, it's been a while since we talked about the cruise industry, so to give us an update on what they're doing to survive this COVID crisis and get some insight on when we can cruise again and what it'll actually look like, we've invited back the cruise guru, David Yeskel. will chat more about it. You can find him on Twitter at cruiseguru underscore. Hi, David. Hey, Randy. I always love talking cruising with you. Uh, there's so much to uh, get to, uh, you know, in the past few months, the cruise line industry, uh, apart from the airline industry, I don't know which has been hit worse. Uh, I, I think the cruise line industry has been hit worse. At least the airlines are operating. Uh, and cruise lines are pretty much shut down, as you know. It's looking like through the rest of 2020 is is really what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, let's start with uh, one of the stories that uh, has kind of been ongoing with Carnival Corporation. It's not just Carnival Cruise Line, but all of their brands. Uh, the latest figure I saw burning through $650 million a month, yeah. which yeah. is staggering. Uh, they have deep pockets, and they're selling off some of their ships and doing some restructuring, but how long can that last? Yeah, so it can last a while, it turns out. So so Carnival Corp., along with the other two big players in the industry, uh, Royal Caribbean Group and Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings, all raised money in the private markets a couple of months ago, essentially enabling them to stay afloat, pun intended, <laughs> for, <laughs> for the rest of, pretty much for the rest of 2020 with zero revenue. So they plan for no sailings, zero revenue through 2020, and they can survive that. Past that, it differs a little for each of those companies. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Carnival is probably the deep-pocketed of most, and they can probably survive through the spring of 2021 with no revenue. Uh, there are some smaller cruise lines that uh, are not facing the, the same kind of situation, though. They're uh, starting to go under. I was reading about one British cruise line. Yeah, they are. So um, Pullman Tour also, which is owned by Royal Caribbean, that's a, a, a European budget line, Looks like they've sold off all three of their ships, um, likely for scrap. Those were the previous Monarch of the Seas, Sovereign of the Seas, and Celebrity Horizon. So, yeah, some of these small cruise lines, like Cruise Maritime Voyages you may have read about, are pretty much uh, can't survive. They don't have the deep pockets. They weren't able to raise money. And, uh, unfortunately, they're going to be casualties. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, getting back to Carnival and their brand, uh, just reading about Holland America selling off some of their ships, uh, the Mazdam, uh, the Veendam, I believe, some of their right. smaller ones, right? Yeah, so they, Holland America just sold four of their older ships, the Mazdam and the Veendam, the S-Class ships, and Amsterdam and, and, and Rotterdam, the R-Class ships. So these were older ships, you know, that didn't have all the bells and whistles the new ships have. They didn't have the BB King's Blues Club or the Lincoln Center Stage all the dining options. So 
they weren't as they weren't as attractive necessarily, and they were you know expensive to operate. Um, mm-hmm. Ships are so it makes sense that some of the companies are culling their fleets, and of course they're disposing of the ships that aren't wouldn't make them as much money, and um, there's no sense in keeping them around and paying for them while they're on these layups uh, if they're not going to bring them back, and and the environment we're in pretty much dictates that the ships are going to come back slowly. You know, the the lines aren't going to put all their ships in in production at one time. Mm -hmm. And the newer ships are the ships that make money for them. They're the most attractive to cruisers, and so those are the ones they're going to keep. And I would think, I don't know if this is true or not, but I would think the newer ships are easier to, um, you know, like add newer things like the newer ventilation systems and upgrade their, those types of things to, uh, you know, part of their COVID strategy, right? Right, right. Yeah, actually. So the newer ships, are, you're right, have the infrastructure of the newer ships make them more amenable to, you know, changing out the filters. And, and Norwegian Cruise Line just announced they're changing out their air filters on all of their ships to hospital-grade HEPA filters. So, so yes, the newer ships are, are certainly more able to pivot uh, into, into this new era. So what will cruising look like if we ever get back on a cruise ship? Oh, yeah. <laughs> when cruises do resume, and, and now it's looking like, Really, frankly, early, hopefully early next year, um, maybe late this year, but more likely beginning of 2021, uh, they're going to start out selling at reduced capacity. So we may see ships half full, maybe two-thirds full. Uh, more health screenings and embarkation for both guests and crew, really more thorough screenings. There'll be temperature checks. There'll be secondary screenings. Once people are on board, frontline staff and crew are going to be wearing masks and gloves when necessary. Um, We've pretty much seen the end of self-service buffets, you know, on, at sea and on land, and uh, it's doubtful those will ever return, mm-hmm. frankly. So, so I think in the buffet venues, uh, the cruise lines are starting to say that staff will be serving people in, in the buffet venues. Fixed dining times, which again, that's going to be a throwback, you know, early and late seating dinner, those will probably be reinstituted at first just so that they can properly space out guests in the restaurants. And um, everybody's going to be a lot more careful. There's going to be a lot of disinfection going on, as I mentioned, the air filtration. And, you know, Norwegian Cruise Line was actually one of the first in the industry. They just released these new health and safety protocols, Mm. and they're going to have a public health officer on each ship. So that officer is going to be responsible for COVID-19 mitigation, rapid testing, the ships will have oxygen equipment, therapeutics, and even isolation cabins so, you know, they can isolate people, infected people, if necessary. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a different world for a while um, when cruises do start up, but... Um, People are, some people are anxious to get back aboard. There's just this pent-up demand, you know. Well, yeah, now that being said, ironically, bookings are up for 2021. So I, I suppose if you're a cruiser, you're a cruiser, right? Yeah, loyal cruisers, you know, want to get back on board, you know, with the proper protections, of mm-hmm. course. So, so there, there, is, there is good demand in 2021. Bookings are actually strong pretty much across the board for all cruise lines. And about half of those are are new bookings. About half are rebookings from, you know, people whose who sailings got canceled this mm-hmm. year. Um, but there certainly is pent up demand, and the cruise lines are going to do everything they can to keep people safe. Listen, we know they've got a a major PR hurdle to to, to jump over. Um, they were the poster child for this virus, you know. And, yeah, exactly. 
and they've got a lot to climb, a big, a big, big hill to climb. But uh, they're doing their best to uh, to get up the hill and convince people that it's going to be safe to get back on board their ships. Tell me a little bit more about this no sail order uh, by the Centers uh, for Disease Control in the U.S. How much uh, clout do they have uh, and jurisdiction? Uh, I would think they would only have jurisdiction in the U.S., which is a big cl- <laughs> that's a big club they carry. <laughs> and it also right. seems to me the CDC and the cruise lines don't get along very well. Right, you're right. They don't get along too well so far. And they're, they're both working to... Uh, amend that. But the CDC does have a lot of clout. So the CDC's no sail order essentially dictates that no ship, no cruise ship, can sail to or from U.S. ports right now through September 30th. And the CDC is waiting for every cruise line to submit a a detailed plan for restarting and how they're going to restart and keep people safe and not depend on shoreside medical for COVID-19 mitigation. They want to make sure that the cruise lines are going to be able to handle any kind of outbreak on board without depending on medevacking people, you know, to shore. Mm-hmm. So they have a lot of cloud, and, and until they get the plans from all the cruise lines and, and CLIA, the, the, the Cruise Lines International Association, the, the marketing group that pretty much every cruise line in the world fits under, is going to take the lead, I believe, in, in kind of wrangling the cruise lines together to come up with a a unified plan to submit to the CDC. And and that's what they're really working on now. So until the CDC approves, um, nothing's going to happen to or from a U.S. port. And, you know, even though there's some sailings on the books for October, November, it's doubtful some of those are going to happen. And Princess actually just announced that they postponed all sailings in North America through December 15th. So uh, we may see that from the other lines, too. And now uh, we're talking about the big ships, uh, but the river cruises, there seem to be operating uh, with restrictions, of course. And, of course, that's a lot easier when you only have 100 or so passengers and smaller ships, right? Sure, sure. So, yes, some of the European river cruises have started operation. As a matter of fact, AMA Waterways just started operating one ship, the AMA Christina in Germany, with German guests only on the German rivers. So the the European river cruises that have started up, the few that have started up, are very focused in one market, pretty much one nationality, cruising through one or two countries. Um, and they're doing it also at, at you know, two-thirds capacity. So this Ama Christina can accommodate about 160 passengers. They're cruising with no more than 100. So um, they're testing the waters, and they're learning what works and what doesn't, but they're able to start up because Mm -hmm. they're in a focused geographic area with a particular demographic in areas where the virus has been tamped down. So um, they're, they're lucky they can start up like that. But, you know, the major cruise lines in the U.S. certainly can't do that. Mm, for sure. David Yeskel is the cruise guru. You can find him on Twitter at cruiseguru underscore or oceancruise.guru. Uh, thanks for your time, David. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Randy. Same here. And that is this week's Informed Traveler podcast. Remember, this is the podcast version of the Informed Traveler radio show heard each week on Chorus Radio. You can find more information on the show at our website at theinformedtraveler.ca. So thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, let us know. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. And if you want to drop me a line, my email is randy at theinformedtraveler.ca. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler. Or you can follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.com.